we will be picking up where we left off last week, and we will be in Acts chapter 5. And we'll be covering the last part of Acts chapter 5 and then Acts chapter 6. And what you'll see, if you don't have a Bible or a smartphone, would you just raise your hand and uh, my friend Jazz will actually give you a Bible. He's got several. So if you don't have a Bible or a smartphone that can you know, get you access to a Bible, uh, my friend Jazz has got one and he'd be happy to give you one. And as always, if you don't own a Bible, um, if, if you don't have a Bible and possess one, we want this to be our gift to you. Take that home with you. That is simply our gift uh, to you. And, and if, even if you know someone who doesn't own a Bible, man, take that. Give it away. Um, we've got plenty, and that's, that's why we have them. We always want to do the best we can to get God's Word into the hands of as many people as possible. There's power in it. And so we're going to dig into that power in Acts chapter 5. So if you can find it, uh, the, the table of contents should serve you pretty well. And we'll be picking up at, in the middle of chapter 5 uh, where we left off. And so up to this point, We've been looking at the book of Acts, and so as you zoom out from the Bible and kind of see what the Bible is about, what it's saying, you'll see in the New Testament there seems to be kind of a transition between the Gospels, a word that you'll hear us use a lot, it simply means good news, the good news of who Jesus is, the good news of what Jesus has done on our behalf. That's in the first four books called the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And right after that, you'll find the book of Acts, literally the Acts of the Apostles. And then following the book of Acts, there's a book or, or a collection of letters and correspondence to and from apostles and followers of Jesus and to and from churches. And so the response we find of what Jesus has done in the book of Acts. And so for the last several weeks, we've been, as we dig into this, trying to figure out what, who is Connection Church, right? What, what, as you're sitting here going, what is this group of people meeting in a school? What, what's going on? We think the best way to answer that is to dig into an ancient truth of what the first followers of Jesus looked like. And the first Christians, the first churches looked like because they built themselves on these ancient blueprints. And so up to this point, it's been an interesting kind of a, a run the people, they go out, they hear the good news of Jesus, they hear this amazing thing. There's something about the story of Jesus that resonates with them deeply, something they can't quite explain, and so they say, man, I, I want to know more about that, and I want to follow that. And signs and wonders keep taking place every single time that the proclamation of the good news takes place by these original followers of Jesus, these apostles, the twelve disciples. But up to this point, there's been very relatively little amount of adversity. The disciples show up. They tell people, hey, this is who Jesus is. People get excited about it. But up to this point, there's, there's kind of a, a gradual growth in adversity. And we saw last week one of the primary enemies to this movement is hypocrisy. That is, faking it. Having a state in which the surface of things is not consistent with the reality of things. And so we confess that we are all hypocrites. There, are, there is a time, if we're honest about it, we are not consistent. We, we say we believe one thing, but the truth is that given the opportunity, we will probably betray it. And especially when we say we want to follow Jesus and know who God is, there's a, a natural inclination for us to be hypocrites, for us to wish that that were true, but the truth is that the best that we can act sometimes is even still inconsistent with the darkness of our own heart. And so we confess that we are hypocrites because we saw a weird story last week in which a group of people, as they were celebrating the radical generosity of God, a couple by the name of Ananias and Sapphira experienced some devastating consequences because they were faking it. 
And in fact, the breath, their very life was taken from them because they weren't consistent. They lied. Evidently, in a spiritual way, they lied in their heart. Now, I don't think that God is going to wipe you off the face of the planet if you're a hypocrite this morning. But we've at least seen that that if we're going to be a part of a movement that changes the world like this, well, then the first enemy is dishonesty with God. We have to confess, look in the mirror and say, look, we are not perfect. We have failed. And guess what? That's actually cool here. You will not get extra points for faking it here. And for some of you who are just, you're even new to following Jesus, I love you so much because you haven't learned how to fake it yet. Because the rest of us who have called ourselves Christian for some time, we, we often get really good at pretending like things are cool. And I want to encourage you, this is a place where you don't have to do that. In fact, if you do it, it won't earn you any points, and it'll just make you more miserable. And it makes for a really lousy hobby on Sunday morning. I would rather you go, you know, we talked about it, go, go get a cool hobby, because faking it here, it's going to be really miserable. So adversity begins to take place up to this point. In fact, as they proclaim the good news, they were arrested and they were commanded to stop talking about Jesus. This good news that they were telling, the first sign of adversity was that they were arrested and they were told to shut their mouths about Jesus. And then the first enemy, it seems, to this movement was hypocrisy. And so we're going to pick up right after that in verse 12 of Acts chapter 5. You'll see as the adversity escalates, my favorite thing about the Bible begins to take place. And I I want to maybe offer this as a centering moment for our time here. Um, Nobody that I'm aware of, with any sense of self-awareness, posts unflattering or bad things about themselves on Facebook or Twitter or any social media. As far as I'm aware, even some of you in this room, people are really good at posting the very best versions of themselves for the world to see. Right? It's very rare unless they do it by accident and somebody else did it for them. And Social media is a really great example of this. We rarely ever stick ourselves out there in an unflattering light. We always, and I'm guilty of this, I only post things that make me look good. Now, you may not admit that, but I'll, I'll be honest. Those, I, t- I tend to think, well, that looks good, and I'll post it, right? I, it's, if there's something unflattering about me posted, it's a failure on my own self-awareness, or it's because someone else did it, and they took a picture of, of me and did it, right? Yeah, I'll never tweet anything that's like hurtful or unhelpful, only things that are flattering. We take pictures and post pictures of myself, and, a, and it makes me look good. There aren't a few people I know, maybe this is just, you know, a little too much information on their part, but there are few people that roll out of bed, look at themselves in their worst state and go, oh, I want the world to see that. And there's a beauty here in the Word of God that I want you to see that is entirely counter to that instinct. That as we wish as much as we can that people would see us in our best light and think the best of us, the Bible is painfully faithfully and joyfully honest. There are places in God's Word that if I were writing this book about myself, I probably would have just kind of scribbled, edited it, and, and, and maybe done away with some of these places. And, and yet we see, as this movement begins, I love how this, the writer here, Luke, tells the story of who God is and who God's people are, and he doesn't lie about it. He's 
honest about it. And I love that as much as it is our tendency to kind of live in a social media frenzy, to live in a very superficial world in which we have lots of friends with quotes, but very few really true friends that know our dirt. We have more and more people who know us on the surface and in our best light and fewer and fewer fewer and fewer friends that know us on our worst days. The Bible offers a refreshing and joyful perspective that is honest about who God is and about who we are. And so I want to encourage you with that as we kind of dig through what this looks like for us as a church. I want you to see that throughout the entirety of Scripture, there are stories about broken people who make terrible, terrible decisions. And the Bible isn't shy about them. The Bible doesn't cover them up as if to make us dress up more cleanly and act better. They, in fact, they draw attention to them so that we would see the grace and mercy of an amazing and faithful God. So that in the end, when we read through this book, we don't find ourselves saying, look how awesome I am. But instead, we come to the end of it and say, wow, look how awesome God is. And this is a really good example we find here. Especially on the in the wake of a story in which people and their hypocrisy had great consequences. Verse 12 of Acts chapter 5. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dare join them, but the people held them in high esteem. So we'll stop right here. This is important because as we've been digging through the book of Acts, we have been looking for things that we ought to begin to imitate or emulate as a group of people. If we're going to follow Jesus, like the original followers of Jesus, then we want to learn from them and we want to walk in their footsteps. We want to do those things. However, there are places where we find that we have nothing in common with this original group, that is the original 12 disciples or apostles. There's something special about them that we don't have. And we'll we'll talk about this just a little bit later, but there's something special that they have, okay? We stand up here, you know, we get together on, on a given Sunday and we talk about the Bible, and we talk about the good news of Jesus as it was handed down to us. When, when those guys got together and, and they wrote down or they talked about the good news of Jesus, it became the Bible. All right? So they're, they're like on a whole other level. So when they talk about Jesus, it turns into the Bible. When we talk about Jesus, we're just trying to lean on their teaching. They're special. They had powers because they had lived with and walked with Jesus, and they had seen Jesus for years. And there's a sense in which you and I, as intimately as we may know Jesus, will never know Jesus in the way that these original 12 people knew Jesus. Ate with him, slept with him, right alongside him, lived with him. They were like a, it was like a 13-man like camping trip all the time. They got to know one another. And so they're a special group of people. And that's why the book of Acts makes sure to point out, look, this is a special group of people. They had a special ability and they had power because they had been with Jesus. And at this time, they were held in such high esteem that no one really stepped on their toes or questioned them. So in verse 14, it says, And more than ever, believers were added not to the church or not to the crowds, but it says in a powerful way, they were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets, and they laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall, Onto some of them. And the people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. 
So just catch how special these guys are. They had such power because of Jesus that people were expecting signs and wonders to the extent that they were taking people who were hurt or who needed healing or who had been born with some sort of malady and they placed them at the side of the road just so that hopefully as the disciples walked by, just their shadow might fall on them and bless them in some way and possibly heal them. And so my first question to you, what were your expectations of today when you got out of bed this morning? More specifically, how high were your expectations of God to work and to reveal himself today when you got out of bed? This is a challenge for me because it was the alarm clock that got me out of bed this morning, right? Not my excitement and anticipation for the day. I wish that weren't the case, but most every day, if it's not the alarm clock, it's one of my young daughters, and either of them, you know, whichever one it is, typically disturbs me and pulls me into the day. Not the great expectation of what God is doing. But I challenge you with this because if we're going to be a part of a movement that begins to change even more lives that are in this room, if people are going to see the good news of Jesus, get excited about it, and their lives and hearts are changed by it, then it will start by an amazingly high expectation of the people who are already following Jesus. And so I just throw this out there. If we're going to emulate and imitate these people, then what are the ways in which our expectations of God don't match up with these original people's expectations? They were so accustomed to seeing God work in mighty ways that it was nothing for them to usher people as close as they could to the followers of Jesus. And so i got to ask you, how many people do you know are trying as hard as they can to get their friends to be in your presence because they know you've been with Jesus. What a high bar. And I want you to know, at the outset, that's what I'm praying for. My prayer is that people would see you and see me and go, man, these people, they're really different. They're not like anyone else I've ever met. There's something about them. It's almost as if their connection and their relationship with Jesus is different. I've never seen that before. And because of that, they would start having high expectations. Maybe they wouldn't drag people who needed healing to you and me. That would be crazy. And I, I hope that we're up for the challenge and hope we have the faith to believe that God can heal. And that's why we pray. But at the very least, wouldn't it be awesome if people who are hurting, just like these people, if people who are broken, wouldn't it be awesome if everyone knew, hey, if you hung out with those Connection Church people, you won't be hurting for long. Because there's something about them. There's something about the peace of Jesus that seems to be passing through them. There's something about their encouragement. The life and the light that they have seems to do something every time I'm in their presence. That's what I'm praying for. I don't want you to have a good hobby for Sunday morning. Instead, I want the people that come in contact with you throughout the week to walk away talking about you behind your back because something about you is completely different. That's what these people were experiencing. Verse 17, it says, the beginning phrase, again, that we see more and more common in the book of Acts, but. (laughs) So every time we kind of have a summary of, hey, cool things are happening, they, they tend to be followed by, but. But the high priests rose up, and all who were with them, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles, and they put them in the public prison. But during the night... 
an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and they began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together all the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and they sent to the prison to have them brought But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and they reported, We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them. I mean, you can kind of picture that. After all, like, did you lock him in there? Yes, I locked him in there. Are you sure? Yes, I'm sure. And why isn't he in there now? I don't know. And you can see the best word, they're perplexed. They were wondering what this would come to. Verse 25, and someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and they're teaching the people. Note here, that's exactly what the high priest had commanded them not to do. Shut your mouths, stop talking about Jesus. And since they continued to do it anyway, and they continued to grab people's attention and tell them about Jesus so that they were following Jesus, they threw him in prison, which didn't work. Instead, it says they were let out by a miraculous angel of God. Verse 26, Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, not by force, so they weren't fighting, they were compliant, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man, that is Jesus' blood, upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, I love this. We must obey God rather than men. The second thing I want you to see about this movement is these people had a radical loyalty to obedience to God. Now, if I were to ask you to kind of dig into your own motivations, what are the reasons that you've made the decisions that you have? I think we'll find, as we talked about last week, there's several pressures that tend to force our decisions. And most of our decisions, if we're really honest, are made because we either want to be in control, because we want to have comfort, or we want approval. And the majority of the things that we do, if we're really true to ourselves and honest with ourselves, we actually do for the approval of people, for the control of the circumstance, or for our own comfort. Why do you go to work? Is it because you love it? Is it because you feel like that's what God's called you to do? If so, that's awesome. You're blessed. But the truth is, most of us don't want to live on the streets. Most of us don't want to be homeless. So we go to work so that we can have the comforts of a house, an apartment, a place where it's not raining on our heads when it does rain. I put that out there because notice that these people have a radical loyalty to what God has called them to do. And I don't know what that's going to look like in your life or what it could look like in your life and mine, but here's what I pray for on a regular basis. That you and I, as we begin to have our eyes open to who God is and what He means for us, is that we would piece by piece throw off the temptation to want people's approval and to want our comfort and to want control, and that we would piece by piece want more and more God to have control, for God to give us His approval, and for God to comfort Him, or for God to comfort us. That's my prayer, because 
if we're going to be a part of a movement that changes our families and changes our cities, it has to start with our loyalty to what God has called us to do. It says here that their first response when they were told to shut their mouths was, okay, thanks. I know you strictly charge us not to teach in this name, but they simply said, we must. They didn't ask for permission. But what if you and I began to look at our lives and we said to our spouses, to our friends, to our children, to our parents, to everyone around us, we must obey God rather than what everyone else is telling us. Verse 30 says, The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed. There they go again, accusing these people of being cruel to Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. Now God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. And when they heard this, they were enraged and they wanted to kill them. Things are escalating, aren't they? First, they just got angry. Now, now they want to kill them. It says, But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And as he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Theodos rose up claiming to be somebody. And a number of men, about 400, joined him. But he was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed, and now they've come to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census, and he drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, then it will fail. But if it is of God, then you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. So just stop for a minute and make an observation about what's going on right here and what's going on in this story. A man of wisdom stood up and said, hey, if you want to shut these people up, great. But if you fight against them, just realize what history is and how we can keep from repeating it. Up to this point, some people rose up and drew up some enemies, I guess, to the high priest. That is, a guy by the name of Theodos and a guy by the name of Judas. And they, they drew up a crowd of people who were probably against the priests. And I guess as you cut off the head of the snake, the, the body tends to die. Their theory simply is, and Gamaliel's wisdom simply is, that if we kill this guy, or if this guy simply goes away, then, then we'll test the movement. Well, here's the catch. They, they evidently have already killed him, and, and now the movement is being tested. And, and he's simply saying, if these people disperse and they go away, then so be it. Then we won't have to get our hands dirty, and we'll just leave them be. Because if they don't go away, then it must be evidence that God is doing something. Let me encourage you something about something. This was about 2,000 years ago when this is written. And it is really cool, because I want, to, I want you to see the evidence of this man's wisdom. He simply said, this Jesus has been killed, he's been martyred. If what he has done and the movement he has begun God, then it won't go away. And it's really cool. Because the evidence that this is from God is around you in this room. The evidence that this is from God is gathering together in different places and houses and buildings throughout this city. I hope you're encouraged by the truth of that man's word that like, look, 
you can do whatever you want, but if God's really done something for us in Jesus Christ, then no matter what you do, kill them, burn them, which they try, then it won't be able to stop this amazing work of God. And I want to encourage you, you're here. You may think by a random series of circumstances, but you are here because of the truth of this man's wisdom. God is doing something. He continues to do it, and you and I are here to celebrate it. Even if we're here against our own will, even if someone drug you here and you didn't want to be here, there's really encouraging news here. God is doing something. And Gamaliel's words are true. But things escalate. It says, you might even be found opposing God, so they took his advice in verse 40. And when they had called the apostles, notice they took the next step. The first time they got arrested, they told him to shut up, stop talking about Jesus. But this time in verse 40, it says, they called all the apostles in, or they called in the apostles, the people who were in trouble, and it says they beat them. They flogged them. And then they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then they let them go. Now, We've talked about this before, but um, I can remember the beatings that I've taken on one hand. They're in here. They're never going away. All right? One of them was Fabian Marshall. We were lining up after, after, uh, after recess. We were lining up, and he thought he would come and punch me in the kidneys, and it hurt really bad. I socked him a good one. We both got in trouble but I feel like I'm the one who probably lost out because I, I got bruised up pretty good because he was taking cheap shots on me. I remember it. it, was, it was, I, don't, I don't know why I'm just demoralizing. It was a beating. Certainly nothing like this. The other beating I took was a guy by the name of Valentine Natividad. Okay, We're playing kickball. I, I hit him with a kick. You know, you're playing where, you know, in the mean rules that I don't think they allow you to do in, 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 in school anymore. We tagged him, and I hit him with a, with a dodgeball or kickball, and that made him angry. I didn't mean to started a fight. I, I don't know that anybody won the fight. He got the wind knocked out of him, but I feel like we both got some punches in. I remember that beating like it was yesterday. And I remember the lesson I learned. More careful when I throw kickballs, right? <laughs> I watch my back when I'm in line going to, um, coming in from recess. I learned from it. I remember it. Specifically, I remember the time when I got in trouble and my dad couldn't find a belt and he found whatever he could find and it hurt really bad. I remember, I remember those beatings and I learned from them. Isn't it interesting? These guys took a beating publicly and instead of learning from them, I want you to look at their response. It says they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for his name. And every day in the temple, and from house to house, they did not cease. What did they tell them? They said, stop talking about Jesus. Stop filling Jerusalem with the teachings of Jesus. And then, to make sure that they got their point across, they flogged them. We don't know if they use a whip. We don't know if they use a club. But typically, it was a whip. And so they beat them, probably pretty soundly, probably pretty memorably, and they said, shut your mouth. And the first thing they do is they walk out, and instead of sulking and, and rubbing their wounds, it says they are rejoicing and thanking God. And instead of shutting their mouths, it says the first thing they did is that not only they met in the temple, which they've been doing up to this point, but did you notice the next step they took? They're like, fine, if they're going to get mad at us when we meet in the temple, you know what we're going to do? It says they went from house to house, and they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Next thing I pray for is that you and I would have a very clear understanding that to follow Jesus is not easy. 
Now, I don't at all want to belittle the real persecution that takes place all around the world for people right now who are in prison or people who have been killed or shunned because they believe in Jesus. They call themselves followers of Jesus. We are just blessed enough that we live in a time and place where that doesn't happen. There are no you know, military forces or law enforcement that are going to bust in the door and tell us to stop what we're doing. We, we can do this. We can talk about Jesus anywhere and everywhere. And the worst that might happen is that they might, I don't know, give us a ticket. At, at, at the worst, there, there are some fines or, or certain penalties. They won't, I, I promise you, not without some severe penalties on their own, they won't beat you for talking about Jesus. We, we live in a place like that. But if you find it difficult, please resist the temptation to wonder why that happens. Because to follow Jesus is to do something that's countercultural. It's to do something that will ruffle the feathers of the people around us. We, we sang just a second ago, this shouldn't surprise us, we sang uh, in How Great Is Our God that, uh, that He is light and, and the words came out of our mouths that says that darkness tries to hide and trembles at his voice. Okay, so if, if we as followers of Jesus are following this Jesus who is the light of the world as the Bible tells us and we're meant to be a light, a, a, like a light on top of a hill or a light on top of a lampstand that, that gives light around us, well then here's just the, the simple analogy that you and I know and have experienced. What happens when you go into a place that's been dark and you turn on the lights? Okay, first and foremost... The critters run, right? Whether they're rats, mice, or, or cockroaches, they run. They know they're not allowed. And when the light comes on, they run. But here's the other thing. If there's a person there, and they happen to have been in the dark for a while, most likely sleeping, what did they do when you turn on the lights early in the morning in the middle of the, like in, in the dark? Right? What are the noises that come out of a person's mouth when you turn on the lights? You know, Ugh. Ah, right? Just animal noises. Maybe I'm speaking for myself and that's too much information. I apologize. But I don't know anybody yet who in the middle of the night when you flip on the light, they immediately open their eyes with joy and they're excited about what's going on. No, their eyes have to adjust. So I throw that out there. If, if we really are to start a movement that will bring light to people's lives that are now dark, well, just just be patient and realize that it's not always going to be received with a great deal of joy. Any more than you will receive with joy if I bust into your house in the middle of tonight and turn on the lights. The darkness, as we sang, will try to hide. And so this adversity, this, this persecution these people endure, don't be surprised by it. And so while you and I may never be thrown in prison, maybe our grandkids will. Maybe they'll have an opportunity to be thrown in jail because they want to follow Jesus and obey God rather than the people around them. Now, I'm not yet where I can celebrate that yet. I'm not, I'm not quite where these apostles were to where I can like pray for that and be excited about it. But what if we were the kind of people who no matter what we face, no matter what adversity, no matter what uh, defiance or, or people's defenses we encounter, we still continue to be faithful and joyful and rejoice that people would even begin to hear us, even skeptically and reluctantly. What if we were the kind of people that rejoiced when we got beat? 
What if we were the kind of people that instead of saying, why, it's not fair, we said, wow, what an honor that God would allow me to suffer for the sake of his name. Wouldn't that be a crazy group of people? Wouldn't we be different than Sioux Falls? Because here's the last little honesty in verse 1 of chapter 6 about this group of people. Not only are these people radically loyal to God more than the people around them, not only are we a part of a movement that continues to go on to this day, and not only are we the kind of people that because we love Jesus so much, we're willing to endure things that most people will not, but also we deal with things a little bit differently. And so this is a a small dose of reality in verse 1. Now, in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, stop, God is blessing them and people are getting excited about it. So even if some of you never come back to hang out with us ever again, and I understand we're a little nuts, that's cool. I, I don't blame you. Even if I never see some of you again, it's really exciting because a few months ago, there were just a couple of us. We'd get together in a house, talk about Jesus, and now there's a bunch of you. And the rows of chairs are bigger. And my, my prayer is not for our own glory or fame, but so that people would hear the good news of Jesus, that more people, your friends, your family, would get excited about how crazy we are about Jesus, want a taste of it, and come fill up this room. And then when this room's full, we can move next door into the gym and fill more people to celebrate how good God is. So this is happening. Don't think that this is something back in the day that doesn't have. This is happening around us. I, some of you have seen here, I, I didn't know you a few weeks ago. And all I can do is trust that God has brought you into my life and the lives around you for his glory. And that's exciting. I can't explain it. I, I, I don't know why else you would be here if it weren't God. I don't know. This is happening, and, and we're experiencing this, but I want you to get a dose of reality here. It says, when they were growing... It says that a complaint by the Hellenists rose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So get this right. In the growth and the increasing amount of people, complaints arose. Why? Well, first and foremost, because they're people. They're people. If, if, we, if we wanted to pick fights, we should go around the room and talk about who you voted for. Or... or, or whether or not you voted. (laughs) I don't know. Where are you on a particular issue? You want to go around the room and pick fights. We could do that because the good news here is that we are not here because we all agree on these things. We are not here because we all are like-minded on particular issues. We all live differently. We dress differently. Some of you talk differently. Some of you have different accents from different parts of the country. Right? I've collected some accents from all parts of the country. We're all weird. We're kind of from different parts of the world. We have different, in, in, you know, different interests, right? Some of you, you don't want anybody to know it, but you're nerds, right? Some of you, you're kind of jocks, right? Some of you are brilliant. Some of you are not. And guess what? We're all here, and God has brought us here. And the really good news is that in spite of all those things that we do not have in common, God has brought us here and united us in Jesus Christ. But just make a note of it. Those things are going to come to the surface at some point. Some, okay, nerd, someone is going to make a disrespectful comment about Star Wars or the X-Men or whatever, you know, whatever it is that you're excited about. I'm just going to throw that out there. And you're going to think it's really dumb. Right? You could pick a fight over that. You disagree. Some of you jocks are going to get angry because some of the other people in this room don't like the team that you like to yell for. Right? Thank God 
we are not here for something as shallow and stupid as those things, right? But just be aware. Those things will come up. We're going to step on each other's toes. The, the more you see my flaws exposed before you, and the more I begin to see your failures, the more likely we're going to want to go, eh. And this was a good complaint. These are some people who the ministry of the church was based on their radical generosity, and they were being they were taking care of widows who at this particular time didn't have the status that women have now, right? If, if a woman lost her husband, then she possibly lost her only means of providing for herself. She couldn't go have a career and, and make money outside of the home because that wasn't the culture that existed here. So, so women who lost their husband might have lost their ability to live and they couldn't make it unless someone showed great generosity to them. And if their family wasn't able to do it, well, then along comes this group of people in this particular movement who love Jesus so much, who were so grateful for God's generosity, that they began to adopt the widows and the orphans. And as they were doing that, there were two groups of people. One of them spoke one language and one of them spoke another. And as they were doing it, the particular group of people that spoke Greek, the Hellenists, they were being neglected. And this is what they did. They didn't split up. It says the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and they said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and full of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and I'll mess up some of these names, but here we go. These are the other people they appointed. Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. And these they set before the apostles, and they prayed, and they laid their hands on them. And instead of fighting and hating each other because they disagreed on particular things, in this case spoke different languages, it says in verse 7 that the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied, multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So a couple of observations, and then we'll wrap up. This is what we're praying for. Notice that there's no sin here. There's no repentance it doesn't say something wrong happened, something bad happened, someone failed and they had to make amends for it. This seems to just be conflict that rises out of people living in proximity to one another. Complaints arise. No one did anything wrong. So sometimes complaints arise because we do things that are wrong. Those are the most likely to happen. But notice that it's also possible that complaints and differences will arise between us even if God is just blessing us. And yet these people were so filled with the grace of Jesus that they were so quick not to divide and not to split angrily, but instead they found a way to bless one another so that the word of God continued to go out. So here you see that special task of the apostles. And I want you to draw a conclusion maybe from it. It says that we shouldn't stop proclaiming the message of the good news of Jesus. We should not stop preaching this word in order to minister to others. Now notice, these two things will go hand in hand. As we learn to love Jesus and tell others about him, we will also have opportunities to love the people around us. 
but we shouldn't sacrifice one for the sake of the other. And we should always remember that our first task is to declare the good news of Jesus. Because if you help a person, even if it's a widow in need, but you neglect your responsibility to tell the story of what Jesus has done, then you in fact haven't helped her. You might have actually distracted her. And notice that these people, they realized the good news of Jesus. They knew that the witness, the story of the apostles was changing lives. And if they were to stop spreading the story of how Jesus had changed lives, then they weren't going to have anybody to minister to. And if they took their time and effort to minister to people and neglected their first priority, that is to get the good news of Jesus out, then they would have lost their original identity. And this happens. As we grow, there will be administrative needs. More chairs. Right? More envelopes. Simple things. But there will also be the need to care for one another even more carefully. So as this arose, here's my challenge to you. It says that they met the people and they began to love these widows in a particular way, even though they spoke a different language. They found people who did. They prob- some of them probably had to learn the language in order to continue to love one another. So here's my challenge. Are you in a place where you could love the people in this room in a way that it wouldn't undermine our task to bless our families, and this city with the good news of Jesus? Because in order to love some of those people, here's a challenge, and this isn't really applied to some of you who are just kind of visiting this this morning and just checking us out. Maybe it could, but are you in a place where you even know some of the people in this room well enough to know their needs? Would you even be in proximity to them if, if a complaint arose? So my prayer is that you and I would be so radically loyal to God's word that we would obey him above the people around us. And then as a result, no matter what might come between us, because it will, it's just, we just have to hang around long enough and we will find something to disagree on. And when that happens, my prayer is that already we'll be prepared and we will know, well, I don't agree with how they vote. I don't agree with what they think. But man, when we get together, the good news of Jesus seems to go out. My prayer for you and for me is that despite our differences, despite our different stories, we would see the needs of this city for the good news and light of Jesus, and we would see the need of the people around us for love, embrace, forgiveness, and we would respond accordingly, not compromising the good news of what Jesus has done for us, but neither compromising the gift of God that is the friends that you have in this room. So that it says that the word of God would continue to increase and the number of disciples would multiply. Not so that we would get famous, but so that Jesus would. So let's pray. God, we thank you so much for how good you are. Uh, We thank you so much for your word. Uh, We thank you so much for this story that's honest about us. It's honest about our failures. It's honest about sometimes, uh, and talking about Jesus is not popular. It's not loved. It's honest about it. Help us to be honest about that as well, that we would faithfully serve and we would faithfully pursue you in such a way that we would want to obey you more than the people who offer adversity. 
I thank you also that it's honest about us. We have differences. For some of us, it's blaring. It's, 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 it's visible. It's easy to see. But God, help us to love you and love what you've done for us in Jesus so much that man, those differences just don't seem like a big deal. So what if we disagree on that thing? What if we looked past that to, to see our task? What if we looked past that to see how good the news of Jesus really is that we would still want to declare it, proclaim it? God, we can't do anything without you. And so I thank you so much for the friendship and love that I've even gotten to experience just this morning, uh, spending time with some of these people. Uh, I thank you so much. I pray, I pray that I'm just even a portion of a blessing to them as they have been to me. I pray that your word goes out and encourages them, even just a, a portion of the way that they have encouraged me. I thank you for that. I pray that we would be faithful to this. God, help, help us so that nothing would get in our way. We would follow you faithfully. And in the days when we find it hard to believe, and uh, the times where we're not even sure this is real, we don't even know if you're real, if you exist, help us to see that there is a greater light and a greater goodness and surround us with the people like these people had to love us. Surround us with those kinds of people to build us up, to serve us, and to take care of us. I thank you for the ways that you've already answered the prayers offered in this passage. We know that you alone can do this, and it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our usher is going to come forward and take up this morning's offering. And so if you've got some information, we'd love to get that from you. For coming to hang out. Um, boom, we're on. Man, it's good to see you. Um, I hope that you were blessed. I hope that God's word is proclaimed and that we were so loyal to it that it changes the way we live. Um, I'm excited to get to hang out with you and I have one quick announcement. So um, this is the last week, has been the last week of this kind of uh, small group meeting we've been getting together. And so we want to get together sometime this week. And so uh, I would challenge you to, to get together with some of the people that have been a part of the small group that you're in and, uh, and some of the small groups that maybe you, uh, you weren't a part of, but maybe you know some of them. And uh, we want to get together sometime this week. So we want to let that happen kind of organically. I don't want to tell you this is when it's going to happen, but we've been meeting on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursdays. And so uh, we want to maybe email one another and get together and see when that might happen, kind of recap what we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks, what it looks like to follow Jesus, not be just a fan of Jesus, but to truly be a follower. And I hope you've been blessed by that, and we'll kick that up. Uh, we'll kick up small groups again um, off and on throughout the summer and then in fall um, once a week, once everybody's summer crazy dies down. So I hope you were blessed today, man. God loves you, and I love you, and I will see you soon. You're dismissed.